Welcome to Pivotal. I'm Hayat Gallo, Corporate Vice President for Commercial Solution Areas at Microsoft. I work with customers around the globe to transform their business through technology. At the center of every transformation are people who give technology its purpose. And that doesn't change with the advent of AI. It's actually being accelerated. People spark visionary ideas for leveraging technology. The release of AI technology like ChatGPT this year is exciting, but it has led to big questions as we grapple with the best way to harness those tools to enhance and support the people behind the work. We like to talk about technology. I love to talk about it. But we often forget that technology is most effective when it supports people with purpose. This season will demystify AI by talking to the innovators using new AI technology to uplift their industries and augment their people, from education to journalism to surfing. And it just illustrates what AI is about. Everybody thinks it's about tech. No, everybody's using AI. And that's what we're going to show you on this season. We're hearing so many exciting stories of AI innovation. And the more conversation we have, the more strikingly clear it becomes that we truly are entering a new era. Companies that have been experimenting with AI and machine learning over the last few years are now poised for exponential growth and impact. Today, we're talking to a Belgium startup company that claims to be the biggest employer in the world. They have on their payroll more than 12 million Worker bees. My name is Loïc Van Kutsem and I'm Director of International Partnerships and Development at Biodiversity. Loïc has had both a long-standing love and appreciation of nature and an interest in combating climate change that was ignited during a trip to Africa 25 years ago. I was traveling, among others, to Africa and, and realizing the realities and how they were already being impacted at the time. I kind of started my career in corporate sustainability and from there shifted to social entrepreneurship. I co-founded a, a social business and then I advised or mentored a lot of startups or scale-ups, uh, impact ventures. Two years ago, Loïc joined Biodiversity, where it just so happens he has a special connection to the founders and their story. It was co-founded by my brother. So obviously I've been following their journey since, since the very beginning. He did corporate M&A and, and real estate development and, and things like that. And he was really looking for purpose in his work and therefore joined an MBA program to kind of get inspiration and meet other, other change makers. And, and that's where he bumped into his uh, co-founder with a totally different profile. His name is Kim. And Guyen, and he is a scientist. So he had worked during 15 years in the academic and scientific world, studying and being one of the experts on bee decline and, and all the issues related to, to pollinator decline and, and therefore also biodiversity. And they kind of bumped into each other uh, with the same vision of how can we make the world a bit of a better place and, and protect nature with very different but complementary skill sets. Two professionals from different backgrounds both motivated to find purpose-driven work, so an untapped opportunity to harness the power of bees and the pollen they gather. Bees and, and pollinators in general are absolutely crucial for our ecosystems. Most of the fruits and vegetables we eat are, are pollinated by, by bees and insects. And Kim, one of the two co-founders, was studying bee decline 
was an expert on that field and realized uh, for him, it was about saving bees basically, but he realized I can't save bees without actually addressing a much bigger issue, which is protecting and regenerating biodiversity because the causes of biodiversity loss are the same as the causes of bee decline being land use and therefore less habitat for pollinators, being pesticides and pollution, being invasive species and diseases and, and climate change. So the, the starting point was really to say, hey, can we, can we actually use bees and, and their superpowers to not only save themselves, but actually uh, protect biodiversity and thereby somehow save ourselves and the economy? Although it may not be the first thing that comes to mind, Biodiversity has a huge impact on global economies because at the most basic level, humans are dependent on natural resources around them for survival. Nature, think of it, provides food through pollination services. It provides clean air, water, medicine, cosmetics, energy, healthy soils prevent flooding. They provide the nutrients we need. Um, Biodiversity regulates climate, and of course, it offers leisure and well-being benefits as well. So all these services are actually free and, and provided by nature, and we're completely dependent on them. Yet we are depleting our natural resources at unprecedented rates. I mean, we have over 1 million species at risk of extinction, 70% of species, at least of mammals, birds, fish, amphibians, have been lost since 1970. 60% of the soils in Europe are unhealthy and degraded. So the situation is really alarming. Moreover, and this has been quantified through several recent studies, over 50% of GDP of global gross domestic product is actually heavily or moderately dependent on nature. Some sectors are completely dependent on nature, of course, like forestry, fishing, agri-food, and others. And uh, investors are increasingly become aware also of uh, that they're facing nature risks in their investment and portfolios. Some cutting edge companies already understand this and have taken steps to address it. Many companies are looking at sustainability in terms of measuring their emissions and finding ways to reduce their carbon footprint. But few are taking into account how the way they operate impacts biodiversity and taken steps to address that. But as the impact of climate change becomes more severe every day, there has been a great regulatory push to address biodiversity loss. It's being um, increasingly pushed as an agenda also by new regulations. In Europe, there's the so-called taxonomy, there's the corporate social reporting uh, directive uh, that is coming out, uh, which will make it mandatory for over 50,000 companies, including foreign companies with activities in Europe, to report on ESG topics, including biodiversity. There are new disclosure frameworks coming out. So there's a lot of momentum, actually, and a lot of different drivers which are now pushing companies to understand their nature or biodiversity risks, but also opportunities. And one of the big gaps or challenges is data. It's hard to manage something if you don't have data. For carbon, one ton of CO2 can be calculated. It's pretty much the same in, in the US, in, in, in France, or in Africa. Biodiversity is much more complex. There's no single unit that can measure biodiversity. And it, by definition, it's very localized. Biodiversity is very different in the US, in, in Sri Lanka, or, or in France. So it needs to be local data, ground truth data, robust data, comparable data. So there's a big data challenge in this field of biodiversity management. 
Data coming in different forms, no unified standards to measure. That sounds like a common data problem that we see in the technology world. But the solution from Loic's view is truly unique. This is where the bees come in. Our mission is to help companies to monitor and, and regenerate biodiversity and reduce pollutants. And one of the ways we do that is indeed using bees as natural drones. So, so bees actually visit billions of flowers on a pretty large surface, uh, 1.5 kilometer radius from the beehive. So they cover 700 hectares. And they're just an amazing sampling force every day during the bee season. At least they go out, visit those billions of flowers and bring back nectar and pollen to the beehive, which they need to feed themselves. And so uh, we actually work with beekeepers all over the world who send us very small samples of the pollen that we collect through a patented pollen trap, as we call it. And our job is to analyze this pollen. Co-founder Kim Nguyen invented this pollen trap, which knocks a tiny bit of pollen off the worker bees as they return to the hive. Just enough pollen for research purposes. Now you may ask, why is pollen such a valuable source of data? Biodiversity takes that pollen and uses laboratory analysis and AI models to establish correlations and identify hundreds of plant species, pesticides, and heavy metals in the area. They call this process biomonitoring, and the insights they can generate is almost miraculous. It actually contains the DNA of all these millions of plants that were visited by the bees, but it also fixes industrial and agricultural pollutants. So it's an amazing source of data, not only on plant diversity through the DNA of the plants, but also we find over 600 different pesticides in pollen. Uh, we can track heavy metals. Um, so our job is to analyze the pollen, interpret this data, and then provide back metrics, insights, and recommendations on biodiversity and on pesticides and heavy metals using the bees and this amazing sampling force as natural drones. Okay, so they collect this data from the pollen, which is collected from the bees. And they're using AI models to analyze all the data and generate insights in the surrounding ecosystem. But what can people do with these insights? Loic explains. We work with a lot of mineral water producers, for instance. Mineral water producers rely on these large water catchment areas, which are very large surfaces of land where the water is, is captured and, and filtered. And for them, it's absolutely strategic, of course, to make sure that these large areas of land are in good state concerning biodiversity, as less pesticides as possible, etc. The way they used to do this was by sending people to do manual sampling. And of course, it's, it's not super representative, it's costly, it takes time. So we use the bees with most mineral water producers to monitor these large surfaces of land and make sure that the quality of plant diversity is high for pollinators and for the quality of their, their water in the end. And on the other hand, also to make sure that there are no pesticides or heavy metals. And we do find them, of course, but with that data, uh, our goal is simply to obtain this data in an objective way using the bees and then engage stakeholders. So for instance, when we find pesticides, we can identify what are the sources of these pesticides. Typically, let's say farmer, potato farmers or, or fruit farmers, it can be others, but in this case, that's, that was the case. And then we go into conversation and, and, and engage those stakeholders and you know, say, well, this is what we found, or what the bees found. 
what can we do about it? Um, could you perhaps uh, use alternatives? Could you spray less pesticides or spray them during the evening? We're basically collecting this data, sharing it with stakeholders, and then exploring what options can be taken to, to protect the land and, and regenerate biodiversity. So they collect data gleaned from pollen analysis, share it with their client stakeholders, and then they explore what options can be taken to protect the land and regenerate biodiversity. The stakeholders are often receptive to those insights, in large part because they trust the data collectors themselves, the bees. The reactions are, on one hand, um, it's the bees really help. They kind of have this sympathetic aspect that allow those conversations to happen, which is not always that easy you know, to bring different stakeholders around the table and discuss these topics. So, so the bees definitely help to bring in those, those, those conversations. Um, they're, they're usually quite surprised. I mean, obviously they know they use pesticides, but they rarely know the extent of, of, of the use of the consequences of the use of those pesticides, how long it remains in the plants, in the ground, what the consequences might be on human health and the concentration levels. So those are the kind of insights we bring. So they're surprised usually, uh, and uh, they usually understand that indeed, well, this is what the bees are saying. It's there. Uh, it's, it's truth. What can we do about it for our own sake or, and, and for the sake of the community and, and, and the business and, and, and our health? Change takes time always. So it's a lot of also facilitating those, those change processes, facilitating different types of workshops and, and gradually trying to put into place new practices to shift towards, towards more sustainable practices or farming in that case. It's actually interesting to see the reaction of the stakeholders and the fact that for once, we don't facing the typical skepticism because there is no human bias. It is about bees. You can trust the bees. The stakeholders are a little in awe of all this information gathered by the bees, and they want to be responsive to the findings. It's actually fascinating to see how AI is being used in the context of a continually changing ecosystem. If we were to use conventional methods, processing, and trying to interpret all that data, it would take so long for those insights to be processed. And when processed, they wouldn't be relevant anymore. With AI and the bees providing inputs every day, we're able to get insights that are timely and actionable. And the bees are really good at collecting data. The beauty of the tool is that bees work every day, so they continuously gather this data. We don't analyze every day, obviously, but we analyze usually every quarter. And, and, and the whole purpose, and we always encourage our clients to do this over several years, kind of do a baseline and then use the tools to monitor the impact of change of practices or actions they can take. And, and, and they get those insights on a quarterly basis, which allows them to continuously also adjust according to the, to the metrics and the insights that we can monitor. One of the most exciting examples of improvement over time has been an eight-year project close to home for biodiversity in Noke Heist, a coastal city in Belgium. We've been working now since, since eight years um, in a region or a city, actually, which is a coastal city. And we started monitoring back in the days and found pretty significant concentrations of heavy metals. And by you know, going into conversation with stakeholders, uh, we identified that those heavy metals were linked to specific power generation processes at the port. There's a port in this, in this town. And so these were actually quite easy to change. So they, they changed that and we automatically monitored a significant drop in heavy metals. Um, 
we also identified significant pesticides and some of them at, at pretty high concentration levels. And there too, we were able to identify the sources of those pesticides, go into conversation with, the, in this case, apple producers who were using them, but also even actually the, the facility managers of the golf course who were using a lot of pesticides. So we, again, we helped them change practices and we monitored after three years a, a drop of 300% in terms of pesticides. And then on plant diversity, at the beginning, we identified some interesting plants, but some were kind of invasive, not native, or not really suited to the environment. So we helped them rethink their planting strategy and kind of plant appropriate plants to make sure that the, the biodiversity is high at all moments of the year. Um, and this was also very successful. It increased by four the amount of plant diversity, and it brought back pollinators and birds that uh, had not been observed in that region since years. Um, there was also a kind of citizen science component where we designed different campaigns to engage citizens in planting with specific seeds. So it was a, a large project with significant impacts in terms of increasing biodiversity, reducing pollutants, but also engaging the community, including citizens, farmers, and facility managers uh, for improved biodiversity. What I love about this example is that it's not only about one-time engagement. They're trying to build a lasting impact. They're trying to empower local community with the data. It does remind me of the Jane Goodall Institute example that we had in African villages. You want to make sure that when you leave, it has a lasting impact. They're also working with Anheuser-Busch InBev, the largest brewery in the world. They have hop production activities in, in South Africa in a very very special area in terms of biodiversity. And they're facing water stress issues due mainly to the presence of invasive species. So eucalyptus, specific pine trees who are basically absorbing a lot of water from the ground to the detriment of hops producers and other activities in that area. Um, they've been working on this since years, kind of trying to clear those invasive species and taking different measures, but they didn't really have a tool to monitor the impact and whether what they were doing was really effective or not. So that's where we come in both again with the bee solution to monitor plant diversity, pesticides above ground, but we're also taking soil samples and analyzing the DNA we find in the soils to get additional insights on, on the soil health and the quality of those soils. And, and so far, um, we started last year on this project, but uh, so far the insights and the metrics are, 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 are quite positive. We compare different types of sites, the more innovative ones versus more conventional ones. And uh, I mean, the evidence has showed that the practices are indeed having the, a positive impact both, both on soil health and on biodiversity and reduction of pesticides. From Belgium to South Africa, biodiversity is helping to drive improvements to soil health, water purity, and biodiversity, and reduction in pesticides. It's amazing what nature and technology can do in partnership. They are getting stakeholders to make big changes, which is improving the well-being of entire communities and minimizing business risks for their clients. They've recently developed and tested new tools that leverage AI to broaden their reach and extrapolate their data to cover more ground at lower cost. With the bio monitoring, which I've been talking about, you know, we're able to monitor 
sites for a lot of clients in, in the US, in Europe, in Africa. So we monitor over 150,000 hectares, which is a lot. We've gathered a bunch of data over the 10 years, of course, on those um, different types of environments. Nevertheless, our clients were telling us, hey, this is great. You know, we're happy to do it on one side or five or 10 maybe, but uh, how can we obtain similar insights on thousand locations or throughout our supply chain? So this, this made us think. The thought process was kind of, okay, how can we actually um, bring in technology and leverage technology and our 10 years of monitored data to provide those insights much faster with less human intervention, cheaper, and to much more people. And that's also where we started uh, engaging with Microsoft, actually. We met with different innovation AI leaders within Microsoft who kind of got us thinking and saying, hey guys, you have an amazing data set now after 10 years. Actually, by injecting technology and AI, you could you could indeed you know, scale this and make it much more inclusive and accessible. So that's the journey we embarked on now three, three years ago. And with Microsoft's help also, we were able to define a first kind of prototype. They brought in Accenture, different partners to help us develop that. And what we have today are, is a suite of different tech-powered solutions. They really do have a unique data set. And it's great that they're exploring and testing all sorts of forward-thinking uses for it. I think they've only scratched the surface of what's possible. One of these solutions currently in beta testing is called BioImpact. It's an AI-powered platform that uses satellite imagery and other mapping technology to see what crops and industry are in an area and provides almost instant estimates of the pesticides and plants that are likely to be present. This is a platform that allows to automatically assess the risks of specific locations all over the world, well, in Europe today, but soon in the US as well. So this is kind of a predictive model based on our own data and insights and, and adding additional data sources. And it allows to simply, you, know, you insert the GPS coordinates of a certain location and you get an overview of what are the risks in terms of biodiversity. Am I, am I close to sensitive areas? Uh, is, is there a high likelihood of having threatened species that I should be mindful of? But also the risk in terms of presence of pesticides. Um, so which pesticides are most likely to be found in this area? And what are the risks of those pesticides for water production, toxicity, human health? Um, so in terms of tools and, and technology, and this is work in progress, it's evolving really quickly as we speak and as we continue developing those different solutions. But we use, I mean, we get, you use GitHub prod, uh, products for different types of you know, programming uh, functions. Uh, and then we rely mainly on Azure cloud services um, for different database hostings, uh, the front-end server hosting and elements like that. Um, we rely then on external databases and uh, to some extent open source models and classification and labeling solutions. And um, indeed, we were lucky a couple months ago, actually, not even uh, to have a hackathon with, with Microsoft colleagues on how can we make better use of, for instance, in this case, generative AI to improve the recommendations we provide to our to our clients. So, so that was a two, three-day hackathon. It was really exciting. We used some of your internal tools, and then we also used the API of OpenAI, actually. And we're, we're building on that and looking into other solutions, including some of the, your AI suite solutions as, as we speak, actually. It's kind of, yeah, really building on our, on our 10 years of data and adding machine learning, 
data and other data sets and, and features to kind of automatically predict and allow everyone basically to get a first assessment or risk assessment of biodiversity and pesticide risk on their, on their sites. The Bio Impact Tool would allow biodiversity to reach more people with more information in a much faster time frame. That is very cool. But for Loic and his team, this is just the first step. The technology is moving fast and it's matched by their ambition to push their innovation forward. After that, we actually shift them to an action-oriented platform which suggests using, among others, generative AI, tailored actions that can be taken based on the risks that we've identified. So that platform is currently still in, in, in development, but that's, that's the idea to shift them from this first step to action taking, and then we can indeed still do on-site monitoring uses, using the bees or, or soil DNA analysis to get ground truth real data to complement those insights and those recommendations. And like other pioneering AI, biodiversity hasn't had to overcome much resistance to their technology. Thanks to the bees and the trust they engender, organizations are actively seeking them out. They're looking for solutions to help them fulfill their reporting requirements. And by the way, this is also kind of the first requirement in all those upcoming regulations and, and disclosure frameworks. So we're getting more and more demands from financial institutions, agri-food producers or others who say, well, I have over a thousand investees in my portfolios or over a thousand suppliers. Can your tool help us just do a first screening and kind of identify the hotspots? These tech-enabled platforms are, are, are rather targeted at corporate environmental directors or, or, or sustainability directors. The situation is simply that uh, for different reasons, they're desperately now looking for, for insights and data at, on, on many sites. It is driven by accountability and kind of investor regulatory pressure, but also very much by internal. It helps to steer decisions and make good decisions and, and be efficient with their use of, of resources. So yeah, it's, there's a need. We're trying to address that need. So those conversations are actually so far not that complex. It's interesting to see the buy-in that Loic and the team have been able to gather, whether it's the financial institution, whether it's the environmental directors, whether it's investors, there is a real interest in what they're driving. Loic is talking to groups of people who are default in versus default out. There is little resistance, no push factor to overcome. They're interested they're looking for solution, and they're happy to adopt the new technology because what they were doing prior was inefficient, expensive, and not yielding accurate current data to help them make their case with the regulators. By using bees, they are, in a way, standardizing the data collection. Today, at least in the field of biodiversity monitoring, there is no one single standard or one single data source. So either they rely on pure data modeling, or they can rely on solutions like ours, which do include data modeling, but also local ground truth. So that, that eases the conversation. It gives them security that this is not only modelized data, but also cross-checked and, and complemented with, with real data. And these are usually um, you know, kind of qualified B2B environment managers who are well aware of the situation, the complexity of monitoring biodiversity. So we can have those conversations quite openly Biodiversity's models rely on their ground data, the data they've been collecting on-site for the last 10 years. 
and 10 years of careful data collection and in-house quality assurance is critical when it comes to building out reliable, predictive AI models. They know the data at the foundation of their model is solid. They trust it. We combine this with external data sources and additional inputs and parameters, um, which, which we don't always control. We have our own quality assurance team and our bioengineers and our experts who look into these I and mean, do different type of sample tests and make sure that the, the occurrency rates are, are relevant and that that works. And we try to be very transparent also uh, in the way we communicate this to our partners and clients saying, well, these tools are predictive modeling tools based on this and these data sets. Uh, there is a margin of error, but there's a margin of error today in the field of biodiversity on pretty much every methodology and we need to move. The clock is ticking. So yeah, I think it's a combination of that quality assurance process, uh, selecting the data inputs and the data sources properly and trying to rely on well-checked, internationally recognized data sets and being very transparent with our partners and our clients. In a lot of ways, Biodiversity's project is the dream project. There's not much resistance to the tech. They're working towards social and environmental good. And we can't overlook this because they're dealing with plants, soil, and pesticides. They're very rarely dealing with serious data privacy concerns. The information we manage is, again, on one hand, it's, it's, it's data we've collected on sites. On the other hand, it's data provided by usually internationally recognized data sets, for most of them at least. It's items around pesticides, plant diversity. So we're not dealing with super confidential data or, or data that, you know, with, with significant privacy issues. Of course, we need to be careful, and we are. But for us at this stage, it's more about, indeed, ensuring that we choose the right data sets, that we do the quality assurance and, and data cleaning, of course, process, et cetera, and then communicating transparently on, on the sources behind these models and, um, and, and the potential margin of error. As we always say with AI and data, garbage in, garbage out. So it's really inspiring to see biodiversity's focus on the quality of the data and the careful collection that they've done over the last 10 years and the balance that they have beyond pioneering new tech and on-the-ground solutions, always keeping people, or shall I say bees, at the center of their effort. People want to save the bees. They want the data from the bees. And now with new regulation, they need the data from the bees. All incentives, environmental, social, economic, are all aligning. And their work spans many different sectors and hundreds of diverse clients. The use cases are, are, I mean, it's always about kind of baselining and then monitoring the impact and, and, and adjusting actions accordingly. In the agri-food sector, it's a lot around sustainable agriculture and kind of monitoring the impact of more innovative practices versus conventional ones, making sure that it's indeed reaping the benefits that they're hoping to, to achieve. We work a lot in the kind of urban development, neighborhood development, real estate sector as well, in particular when they want to bring in nature. And therefore, again, we use our tools to kind of do a baseline measurement and then throughout the construction or renovation works, uh, monitor the impact and identify issues. So if there's a lack of plant diversity, again, we can advise them and say, well, you should plant this to make sure that the 
biodiversity is in a good state. Uh, if we identify specific pesticides or heavy metals, again, we can help them take the corrective measures. We've talked about water producers already. Indeed, we work also in the mining and extractive sector. They obviously, through their extractive activities, have pretty significant impacts on the land and the and the biodiversity surrounding those mining sites. Since years, they already have obligations to do uh, biodiversity baselining and monitoring. Um, but again, they find our, our tool quite innovative, quite efficient to monitor those large areas. So we work with them. And indeed, we have some projects with directly also with cities or regions to help them monitor at the landscape level, pesticide-free policies or, or pollinator-friendly policies or, or different policies and actions they are taking. They have big goals and big ideas, and they're just beginning to hit their stride using AI to scale and expand. Our vision and our, and our goal is really to scale this as much as possible uh, using computer vision and machine learning, but to allow as many people as possible to basically get the insights and the data they need to act and protect biodiversity. Today, we're focusing more on kind of B2B uh, companies, cities as well. Tomorrow, perhaps uh, we could adapt some of these solutions and allow you know everyone, citizens, to also better understand their environment and, and take action uh, to protect and regenerate biodiversity. We're working on IoT and bringing in sensors into beehives to, again, capture additional parameters and, and data to feed our, our recommendations. But I guess the most innovative project we're working on now, and I don't know yet if it will work, um, but is to see how can we use, indeed, computer vision and machine learning to avoid a lot of the lab analyzes we're doing. So basically, how can we empower everyone, and in particular beekeepers, to take pictures of pollen and use machine learning to automatically de identify and detect the type of pollen rather than us using, in the past, microscopes, microscopic analyzes today, genetics analyzes. So that's, that's one of the kind of moonshots, the things we're working on. And it's, it's yeah, the initial tests are, are, are promising. So we'll see where it leads us. And for those with a green thumb, this next tool they're working on will be of particular interest. We really want to engage as many people as possible. We're also developing an app that will empower anyone, I mean, citizens basically, to map the plants that they have on their terrace or their garden and get specific recommendations on what they should be planting for the benefit of their local ecosystem and get regular tips and tricks and maintenance tips to make sure that they can also act and really regenerate locally within their garden or their terrace, the, the biodiversity. But all work in progress. So indeed, yeah, the idea is to take, I mean, using computer vision, take those pictures, run, and we're testing it now, and the results are quite positive, run a machine learning model to kind of, based on those pictures, identify indeed which type of pollen we're talking about. So it would, it would significantly reduce our, our, our human effort, but also accelerate the process of, of analysis and enable much more people to, again, to be empowered and, and, and do it as well themselves. So that's kind of our vision, empower as many people as possible to get the right insights and data to act and protect biodiversity. As for working with his brother through all of this, is that tricky to navigate? I feel very fortunate that, that we get along so well and we can work together. You know, we know each other very well, so it's great. And we've always had a very open, trust-based relationship. We don't hesitate to challenge each other. We can be hard and harsh if it's necessary as well, and we can take that feedback. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a nice journey, and it's great to be working 
with my brother in this in this journey. We really share the same vision and super exciting every day to to work together towards achieving it. I just got back from COP28 and I have to say it was inspiring. It was also depressing because we're not making the progress we need to make. And people want to help. They just don't know how. And this, this is a tangible way of contributing, on making things better, on making our environmental progress really happening. And it's interesting to see what started as an opportunity to save the bees also became an opportunity to improve biodiversity. Who would have thought that you could do that? It is exciting to see AI expanding within these niche fields of study with specific application, deeply tied to the natural world and resulting in a widespread impact across industries around the globe. As a tech person, if you had told me about bees and AI, I would have looked at you and wondered, what are you talking about? Well, it's happening. Loic and team are making it happen. When you look at this story, it's inspiring. The possibilities. Nature is giving us feedback. We're giving a voice to bees. Thank you for listening to Pivotal. I'd love to hear your story and your Pivotal moment. So don't hesitate to follow me and share on LinkedIn. Audience information is also available in the show notes. Our show is produced by Large Media. That's L-A-R-J Media. Special thanks to Lin Yang and our partners at We Communications.